There's gonna come a time when giving up looks like the only option. When the problem looks unsolvable, the enemy seems unstoppable. When defeat looks inevitable, but you can't give in. Regardless of the odds, regardless of what life throws at you, God has taken you through too much to leave your side now. Let what was meant to destroy be your strength. Take what the world meant for evil and watch God work it for good. Well, hey, everybody. Let me just welcome you to our online service. Man, we're so glad you're with us today. You know, Sarah and I got an opportunity to watch the service with all eight of our grandkids last weekend. Man, they were standing around a couch just worshiping like crazy. It was pretty cool. Okay, some of them were worshiping. Some of them were, or others were doing other stuff. But you know, every summer, man, the elders and you uh, give me some time to step away from the daily responsibilities of preaching and leadership and uh, spend that time on rest and reading and praying and planning. And, and let me tell you, friends, that's been a lifesaver for me, especially this year. So I just want to thank you for making that loving investment in my life and in my ministry. And I also hope you'll be thanking the Lord for all of our pastors who, you know, taught us through the study on the book of Galatians. Man, I was able to watch that while I was away and loved it. And can I just say, man, thank you for being the church. You know, once again, I'm so thankful for the amazing faithfulness of our church. I mean, you guys always do the best of things in the worst of times. Man, I'm sure you heard by now that we hosted a mobile COVID testing site uh, at the Henderson campus. And I'm telling you, man, from the minute this thing started till the minute it was over, it was bumper to bumper. I mean, we helped a lot of folks that day. It was awesome. Uh, you probably also heard about our performance initiatives ministry downtown. Man, we're helping inner city students. You know, they're, they're getting weightlifting uh, scholarships. They're prevailing in school. We're leading them to Christ, baptizing them into Christ. There are students in this ministry who are winning D1 scholarships to major universities in weightlifting that nobody expected to even get through high school. And that's because friends of the ministry of our church and because of the investment that you make. And of course, our PAC ministry, you know, has distributed over 40,000 bags of groceries in the last 120 days to kids who are suffering from food insecurity every day. And friends, can I just say again, I, I talked to a guy in our church who, who had a death in his family. And so I was visiting with him on the phone. I was praying for him. He was so thankful for his faith, you know, and for the difference that makes in times like this. But then the next thing he did was talk about our PAC ministry and how thankful he was to be able to invest in kids and just bless, you know, and that our church is touching lives like that. And, and I could just go on and on and on. But friends, all of this is God working through your generosity. Now, I'm not saying our church is not tight right now. We are. But I'm telling you, your faithfulness and tithing and then giving above that to our global outreach has enabled our church to continue to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our culture while our culture and the world are experiencing more isolation than ever before because of this pandemic and all the other mess that's going on. And so, friends, in the name of Jesus and for the sake of those folks whose lives are blessed by our church, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being the church in season and out, dude. Thank you. 
Now, let me just give you a little reminder here. We've got a family meeting coming up on Thursday night uh, just to update you on our plans to resume public worship. Uh, I don't have to tell you things are changing almost every day in our state and in our city. Uh, and we're trying to over communicate without just wearing you out. Uh, so, man, just log into this family meeting on Thursday night, July 23rd, 7 o'clock. Uh, I'll bring you up to speed on what our plans are to resume our, our public worship. But today... Man, we're going to launch a new series of messages on the life of one of my favorite leaders in the Bible, and his name is Joseph. Now, I'm not talking about the Joseph that was married to Mary that we talk about at the Christmas time. I love him too, but that's not who we talk about today. We're going to open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Now, it's the first book in your Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to start a study of one of the most amazing guys. His name was Joseph Bar Jacob. And he is one of the few people in the Bible that that is almost nothing negative said about this guy. I mean, when he hated, he didn't retaliate. When he was tempted, he did not yield. When everything around him fell apart, he didn't. When he was blessed, you know, he didn't get proud. He didn't become entitled. When he faced death, he didn't cave in. Now, friends, because Joseph lived such a noble life, he gets more ink in the book of Genesis than anybody else. Now, think about that. He taught, he's taught about more in Genesis than Adam and Eve or Noah and the ark or Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who is Joseph's dad, who is the you know, father of the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel. Now, I love to study the great lives of leaders in the Bible. And when we do, there are three things that become apparent about the leaders in, in the Bible. Here, here's number one. Some of these guys start off really poorly and then they end their lives really well. And let me tell you something, man, that gives me hope. You know, the Apostle Paul was like that. Dude, first time we hear about the Apostle Paul, he's a hater. He's persecuting the church. He, he was right there helping murder Stephen, the first martyr uh, you know, who gave his life for Jesus. But then a few chapters later, we read about him meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. Dude, when he meets the resurrected Christ, he humbles himself, gives his life to the Lord. Man, serves Jesus wide open for the rest of his life till the day he dies. Now, he starts off poorly, but man, ends up really well. And listen. That's like a lot of us. A lot of us, you know, worked on our testimony a long time and then met Christ. And man, it's been different ever since. Some of the leaders in the Bible start out really well and then they get tripped up. Temptation, sin, whatever. And they end up ending their life really poorly. King David was one of those guys. He loved the Lord as a young man, wrote all kind of worship songs about Jesus, became the greatest king of Israel. And then the blessing of God kind of went to his head and he started feeling a little bit entitled, you know, uh, like he could, you know, dabble in temptation that other people couldn't get away with and wrecked his life. I mean, wrecked his life, his family, his testimony started out double strong, ended up kind of poorly. But occasionally we meet somebody like Joseph who starts his life faithful to God as a young man. And then man walks through his whole life with the Lord. I mean, marriage, family, kids, grandkids, career, lives a fruitful, heroic life for God till he dies at 110 years old. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people in the Bible like this. Esther was that way. Daniel was that way. Ruth, Moses, Isaiah, all loved God through, and served him through every season of their life. Now, were they perfect? Of course not. But you ought to read their stories, man. These are inspiring people. And let me just say this too. Life was not easier for them because they stayed faithful to God. In fact, I think sometimes life is actually harder for those of us who stay faithful to God, you know, because the devil just keeps hammering, 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 trying to make you stumble. But of course, thank God, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. 
I mean, you have the Holy Spirit. That's all the power you need. And Joseph is going to show us that when you believe that God is in you and God is with you, bro, that sets you up to prevail no matter what comes at you. And listen, that is the secret sauce in the life of Joseph. He believed God was with him. And so all through his story, he is going to do exactly what you would expect anybody to do who believed that God was with him. God was with Joseph when life was good. God was with Joseph when life was bad. Whatever circumstances Joseph found himself in, he lived like God was with him. And let me tell you, he's our hero today because he did. So over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack Joseph's story. And man, we're going to see how God was with him through disaster that he just didn't see coming. Man, with him through temptation that he would never have anticipated. And then through discouragement and then through success. And I'm telling you, through betrayal and the need to forgive and then all the way out. But today, today we're going to look at the challenge he had to face growing up in a super dysfunctional family. Joseph grew up in a troubled family. Now, you know, every family is a little bit dysfunctional. My family, dude, we put the fun in dysfunction. You know what I'm talking about? But some families, dude, there is so much hurt going on that it produces a lack of respect and some spiritual and emotional and human just disintegration. You know, the family is just not functioning the way God intends the family to function. Instead of the family bringing security, it brings insecurity. Instead of everybody feeling love, well, there's passivity. Instead of unity, there's division. And then, you know, it's like divorce and incest and sibling rivalry and greed and addictions and affairs and child abuse and spouse abuse and absentee parents and holy mackerel, man, all this stuff just builds into these dysfunctional families. And let me tell you, Joseph is proof that there is hope if you're growing up right now, or if you're a part of a troubled family, man, when God is with us, we can rise above even that. And you know, this is a census year and I hope you've mailed your in, yours in. But I love the story about the census taker who went to a little ramshackle hut up in West Virginia, knocked on the door, a little scrawny 13 year old girl came to the door and he said, hey, I'm here for the census. Can I talk to your dad? Is your dad home? She said, he ain't home, he's in prison. He said, well, how about your mama? Is she home? No, she ain't home neither. She ran off with a moonshiner. Well, how about your sister? Is she home? No, I, she ain't home. She's at a hospital for crazy people. And then he said, well, do you have like an older brother? Anybody can talk to? He said, well, I got an older brother, but he ain't home either. He's at Harvard. And the guy said, Harvard? What's he studying at Harvard? She said, he ain't studying nothing. They studying him. Now, you know, Joseph's family is a little bit like that, right? And as we unpack this family, it's going to remind us that no matter what kind of family you come from, man, it is possible for God to do a new work in your life and be with you in that family right now. Now, for all that to happen, though, let me tell you, Joseph had to overcome some troubled parents. Now, I'm sure that all of us have had this experience. You get to a certain age and you realize my parents have issues. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, up another age, you just think that's how parents are. But then you get to a certain age and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, you mature a little bit or you go to college and take a psychology class or you spend some time with some other families and you think, my old man got some issues. Mama got some issues, y'all. And, and, and can I just say, when you make that discovery, be gracious about that because your kids are going to make that same discovery one day because that's normal. That's normal. But let me tell you, what's going on in Joseph's family? Not normal. 
Uh, dude, this is talk show stuff, right? Look at Genesis 37. We'll start reading in verse two. Now, Joseph was a young man of 17, 17 years old when this starts happening. He's tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, when you just read that verse right there, one word should really stick out to you. Wives. His daddy is married to more than one woman at the same time. Matter of fact, his daddy has four wives at the same time. Two of them are not listed here. All right. Now, the people of God in the Old Testament were forbidden to do this, but they picked up this horrible habit of polygamy from the pagan nations that lived all around them. And can I just tell you, all it brought those families was pain, pain. Now, we don't practice polygamy in our day here in America, but we are tempted to practice serial monogamy. And that's when you are only married to one woman at a time. You married just as many women. You just married to one at a time. And let me tell you, it brings exactly the same thing. Pain. Now, single people, listen to me. When God created Adam in Genesis chapter one, God gave him one wife. And he told Adam that in the future, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh. Friends, this is the biblical definition of marriage. Listen, this same verse is quoted four times in the Bible, twice by the Lord Jesus. This is God's plan for marriage. Full devotion to one husband and one wife for life. Now, friends, I don't know how many wives or husbands you've had up to this point because you haven't been walking with the Lord all your life. But if you love Jesus now, please, from this point forward, fully devote yourself to one husband or one wife, single people. This is the time to make that decision, because if you don't, your life is going to get very complicated and you're going to end up handing all that complication over to your kids. And listen, all the members of blended families in our church would say, amen. And I thank God for all the blended families in our church. I think there's a special blessing on stepmoms and stepdads who, who love those kids as, as the Lord does. But listen, they would all tell you marriage and family is complicated enough. And then you start blending two, three, four families together. Dude, it gets super complicated. Now, I can't tell you Joseph's whole story, but I'm telling you, this reads like a soap opera. And, and if you haven't read the book of Genesis, you'll think I'm making this stuff up. And I'm not. Joseph's dad was a guy named Jacob. And Jacob fell out with his brother Esau and left their home and went to a city called Padan Aram. And he, met, he worked for a guy named Laban who had two daughters. And one of them was older. Her name was Leah. The younger one was Rachel. Rachel was very, very beautiful. And, and uh, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. His, her sister Leah, the Bible says, was nice. <laughs> she was nice. Now, when anybody ever tried to set you up for a blind date and you ask them, so what are they like? And oh, he's nice. <laughs> and you just know, prepare yourself. Right. So Rachel is beautiful to look at and, and Leah is nice. So anyway, in Genesis 29, Jacob told Laban, I'll work on your ranch for seven years if you let me marry your daughter, Rachel. And I mean, that's just how I did it back in the day. And so in Genesis 29, 20, it says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his great love for her. Man, isn't that romantic? I mean, that just, you know what? It just gets me, you know?
So Laban, at the end of time, arranges this big wedding. It, they had the weddings late at night. Uh, the party is outside. Uh, it's lit by dimly lit torches. Apparently there was a lot of wine in play, <laughs> thick veil over the, the bride's face. So Menno Jacob parties hard, marries the girl, sleeps with her, wakes up the, morning, the next morning, and it ain't Rachel. <laughs> I mean, Jacob's thinking, you know, my mama told me that women really look different in the morning before they put their makeup on, but I, she looks like Leah. And Genesis 29, 22 says, Laban brought all together, uh, brought together all the people of the place. They had a big feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And when morning came, there was Leah. And so, man, Jacob storms off, man, to find out, uh, you know, what, what in the world's happening here? And Laban says, listen, man, I don't know where you come from, but where we come from, no self-respecting father is going to marry off a younger daughter before the older daughter. But here's what I'll do for you. If you work for me another seven years, I'll let you marry Rachel too. Now, Laban is a creep who essentially marries his two daughters off to get 14 years of labor from Jacob and friends, the Bible tells us this story to warn us about stuff like this. I'm telling you, Jacob, Joseph's dad is going to live this lesson out. Imagine the dysfunction in that home where Jacob is married to two sisters and one he just loves to pieces and the other one feels like she got stuck with him. And, and to make matters worse, Rachel, his favorite is infertile in a culture where that's considered a curse. And then Leah, the nice girl, but is she having babies left and right? And then imagine the weirdness and the hurt that comes when you got a married husband sleeping with more than one woman. Dude's an idiot. He's destroying his family. And then in chapter 30, you know, Rachel comes up with a plan. Jacob, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sleep with my servant girl, Bilhah, and then you get her pregnant and she'll be a surrogate mom for us. And then I'll adopt the baby when the baby is born and I can finally give you a child. And of course, being an accommodating husband, <laughs> Jacob says, well, baby, if it'll help you, sure, I'll sleep with her. Idiot, right? And then he sleeps with this girl and it has two sons with Bilhah. And of course, Leah, she's not gonna be outdone. So she has Jacob sleep with her female servant girl, Zilpah, who has two more sons. And at the same time, Leah has two more sons. Eventually, bro, are, there's four wives and 10 boys in this family, all living in the same house under one roof. And Rachel is still struggling with the depression of infertility. Complicated. And then Rachel finally gives birth to a son and names him Joseph. Number 11. And years later, she gets, she gets pregnant again and she has a little boy named Benjamin and dies giving birth. And that is the family Joseph grows up in. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? In this house, four mamas, none of them happy. Nobody's happy. Now, <clears throat> it wouldn't happen just like this in America. But we all have friends who are struggling right now because of the kind of stuff that happened to them in their family of origin. How in the world did Joseph stay faithful to God in a family like this? Now, before I answer that question, I just want to say a word to all of the beautiful single people in our church who are making decisions today about how your life is going to be in the future. Please, please guard your sexual integrity because you are making decisions today 
that are going to impact generations to come. Friends, the Bible consistently calls us to sexual integrity. This is one of the differentiating values of the kingdom of God. We're the only religion really that teaches this. One man, one woman for life. Man, Paul taught his friends in, in the Greek city of Thessalonica, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and avoid sexual immorality. That each of you, you know, should learn to control his body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't even know God. Now, friends, look at me. God's call is for sexual celibacy until you marry and sexual faithfulness to your spouse when you marry. This is the opposite of everything your sinful body will tell you. This is the opposite of everything you will see modeled in this insane world we live in. But friends, a lack of sexual integrity will lead to the very kind of relational chaos that we see in Joseph's family. I'm telling you, sexual purity today is the foundation on which relational intimacy will be built in the future. There's no intimacy in Jacob's home. There's no true love and devotion in that home. There's lots of sex. There's lots of kids growing up with a spiritually passive dad and suffering because of that. But none of the joy or the unity or the loyalty that God dreams of for your future marriage, for my marriage, for my son's marriages, for our homes. Now, if you've been following in the New Testament challenge, following me on Instagram or our church on Instagram, you read it this week. Paul told the friend, his friends in Corinth, which was one of the most you know, sexually charged cities in the ancient world. He told them, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, dude, you're sinning against your own body. You are going to hurt your own body. You won't help. You're going to hurt. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Now, I know that this is a very restrictive teaching to be hearing in a narcissistic, sexually charged culture like ours. But friends, Joseph's family story is in your Bible as a warning. Dude, this is the dysfunctional path that you get on when you abandon sexual integrity. And I know some of y'all are thinking right now, Cam, golly, Moses, too late for me, bro. Too late for me. No, no, it is not. Not by a long shot. Listen, man, if you're on the New Testament challenge, you read it with us last week. I want to read you again. First Corinthians 6, 11. I'm telling you, Paul acknowledges this long list of crazy sexual sin. And then he says in verse 11, and some of you were just like that, but not now. You've been cleansed. You've been made holy. Dude, you've been made right with God by calling on the name of Jesus and by the spirit of God that changes you from the inside out. Man, it is never too late to repent and change the direction of your life and then be blessed. You'll be blessed. Single people, look at Joseph. He did it right. He lived in all that chaos and yet refused to let those values lead him to disobey the God who was with him, even in a crazy dysfunctional family. Follow his example. Follow his example, because I'm telling you, what you do today is going to affect children that you will have years from now. Now, Joseph's father, Jacob, made some serious mistakes long before Joseph was born, and the impact of those choices trickled down and made Joseph's life harder, harder, 
But here's the good news. Even if you have totally dysfunctional parents, God is still with you. God was still with Joseph. Okay. In addition to troubled parents, Joseph had endured jealous brothers, jealous brothers. Now, friends, it should come as no surprise with all the rivalry and the competition between the moms and that family. There was also this terrible sibling rivalry among Joseph's brothers. I mean, listen, man, you bring together 12 sons and one daughter from four different moms. Dude, that's going to be constant bickering. I mean, read Genesis 37. It's pretty clear that the sons of Leah knew their mama was not loved by Jacob. And that made those boys bitter and resentful. And the sons of the concubines, you know, Bilhah and Zilpah, they always felt second, second rate. They always felt inferior. Dude, this family was tense. I mean, it's like a bomb ready to blow any minute. And to make matters worse, Jacob shows partiality to Joseph and makes no attempt to hide the fact that Joseph is his favorite son. Look at verse three of our text. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. He was the son of Jacob's old age. And it says, now Israel, Israel is another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him a richly ornamented robe. Now, this, this phrase, richly ornamented right here, is very difficult to translate in the Hebrew language. Uh, some, some translations say multicolored. And that's where we get the idea of his uh, multicolored, you know, uh, coat of many colors, uh, Joseph in the Technicolor, raincoat, uh, main, whatever it is. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, it's just that that's one translation. The other translation is long sleeved. That is a long sleeve robe. Now, let me tell you something. People who work outside on the farm don't wear long sleeve robes because it gets in the way. Only nobility would <laughs> wear that. Whatever it means, Jacob gave Joseph a Gucci coat and didn't give one to anybody else. So Joseph's got it all on his own and nobody's expecting any hard labor out of him. Now, can you imagine being in any family, especially a blended family, and you buy one of your kids designer clothes to wear back to school and you buy everybody else's back to school clothes from Walmart? That kid gonna get hurt. Can you imagine you buy one of your kids a Jeep to go to college and everybody else bicycles? Now, let's be real about this for a second. Sometimes it's hard not to show some favoritism to certain kids at certain times. You know, if they get hurt, uh, if they're in a situation, if they're a certain age, if they got a certain temperament, it, it all kind of affects that a little bit. Somebody said, every mother has a favorite child. It's the one who needs you the most in the moment for whatever reason. But I'm telling you, a wise parent recognizes that even though you can't treat every child all alike every time, you can love them equally. Now, friends, Jacob did not love his children equally. He made sure everybody knew Joseph was his favorite. He made no effort to conceal that. It's totally dysfunctional. It's evil. Joseph got the best clothes. He got the easiest jobs. He got the highest compliments. It wasn't good for the brothers and it wasn't good for Joseph either. Now, can I just say a word to the step parents and the grandparents who are with us today? You already know this. Dude, you got to try to distribute your love equally. 
And I'm telling you, sometimes this is difficult because the proximity of the kids or the talents of the kids or the temperament of the kids. But I'll tell you one thing you can do to bless your stepchildren and your grandchildren is show them that they are all equally loved. You can't spend all, always the same time with all of them. You don't always have the same access, but you can love them. I love the story of the school teacher who said a second grade girl came up to her and said, teacher, <clears throat> my sister and I are the same age. We're in the same class, but we're not twins. One of us is adopted, but we forgot which one. I love that. I see that in our church all the time. You know, our big fostering compassion uh, initiative. I, I see that happening. We're adopting kids in, just treating them like blood, treating them like part of the family. Listen, this is the kind of equal expression of love that makes a family beautiful and functional and godly. And the absence of that made Joseph's family a madhouse and it made Joseph's life harder. But in addition to that, Joseph also had to own his own personal immaturity, right? <laughs> and that, Joseph is a good 17-year-old man in a weird family. But let me tell you, he wasn't perfect either. And none of us are. And I think I see three indicators in this text that Joseph had some growing up to do. Here's number one. He tattled on his brothers. And nobody likes a tattletale, right? He tattled on his brothers. Now, given the favoritism, and the neglect that his brothers were having to endure at the hands of their dad. Joseph, this is not smart, bro. It's just not smart. Now, let me, let me say something to you. If you've been really blessed, and let me tell you, a lot of us have been really blessed. You want to be wise and humble in how you talk to people who are not as blessed as you are. Now, look at verse 2. Joseph was a young man of 17. He's sitting in the flocks with his brothers. And then he brought his dad a bad report about these boys. You ought to see what they're doing out there, dad. This is bad. Now, one of the reasons that none of us can stand a tattletale is it comes, it comes off a little self-righteous. You know what I'm saying? It's a little holier than thou. I mean, it's like you must think you get it right all the time to be ratting us out like this. And you know, the truth is maybe Joseph did the right thing telling them. I mean, maybe they were stealing from his dad. Or maybe they were ruining their dad's reputation and they needed to be told on. But I'm telling you, right or wrong, <clears throat> the brothers got hot. Here's the second thing that Joseph did to kind of tick off his brothers. He wore that special coat a lot. <laughs> he wore it a lot. Now, you know, it's one thing for your father to give you a coat that's really special. It's another thing to wear it everywhere you go, especially when you know your brothers don't have one. He wore that coat tending the sheep. Now, verse four indicates that every time his brother saw that coat, it ticked them off. It reminded them that their dad didn't love them as much as he loved Joseph. And they hated Joseph so much they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Now, can I just say, if you've been blessed, God bless you. But you would be wise to be humble and grateful and show a little bit of restraint. Now, I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's just killing it in business. I mean, slaying it, right? And he found a great deal on this super expensive, high-performance sports car. Dude, he grabbed it. It was his ego car, man. And then about a year later, he traded in on a truck. <laughs> and I asked him, I'm like, bro, why did you get rid of that car? And he said, you know, it's hard to sneak up on people when you're driving a car like that. And then it made me think about the wealthiest, wisest, godly people I know. They hardly ever drive the most expensive car they can afford. 
They hardly ever live in the most expensive home they can afford. They hardly ever take all the exotic trips that they could afford. They show restraint because they are humble and grateful. I just think this is wisdom. Friends, Jesus warned us about, you know, the pride that can accompany the blessing of the Lord. And especially when you want to flaunt it. I mean, you remember Jesus saying, watch out for them Pharisees. Watch out for those guys. They love to wear those special garments. They love to call attention to themselves. They scramble for the chief seats at every synagogue. They want you to call them by their title. Well, I'm doctor, so-and-so. And Jesus says, dude, don't be like that. Humble yourself before men and then God will exalt you. Now, you know, in the book of James, <laughs> the brother of Jesus taught us that there are two ways to develop maturity. One way is to learn from the word of God. The other way, pain. Now, nobody in Joseph's family is teaching him much of anything. So as we go through his story, he's going to learn to show restraint through pain. And I'll just give you another example of where Joseph is kind of the immature guy. He bragged about his dreams of superiority to his brothers and his parents. Now, look at verse five. Joseph had a dream. And <clears throat> when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field, binding sheaves of grain in the field. And suddenly my sheath stands up erect and your sheaths all gather around and bow down to mine. Now, it doesn't take an intellectual giant to interpret that dream, right? Look at verse eight. His brother said, little brother, do you intend to reign over us? You actually think you will rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, friends, Joseph is the youngest son here. And when he saw their reaction to that dream and how it kind of blew back on him, I mean, just a little bit of maturity would have helped him realize everything that is true is not helpful to say. You know this, right? You don't have to say everything you think. You don't have to say everything is true. I mean, everything is true is not helpful. And sometimes it's better just not to say it. I mean, it's one thing to have a dream like that and then wonder what it means. It's another thing to tell people who are obviously not doing well in your dream how well you're going to do, especially if they already resent you. Now, friends, Joseph is not showing a lot of emotional intelligence here. And let me tell you, he has a second dream and he shares that one, too, even though it puts his parents in a bad spot, as well as his brothers. Look at verse nine. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and then the 11 stars were all bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And he said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And you know what the answer to that is? Yes. This dream was from the Lord. Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's wise to share it with everybody. But Joseph is a good kid. But he's just not getting it. And I think maybe it was because he was so indulged as a child. He couldn't imagine anybody disapproving of anything he said. You met kids like that, haven't you? Who've been so spoiled for so long. They think they can get away with anything. And then they go to school and get beat up every week for you know, a few weeks and they calm down a little bit. I don't think necessarily that's Joseph. I think it's more likely that he's trying to have a serious talk with a family that's never serious. He's trying to talk sense to a family 
doesn't have much wisdom. Even as a 17-year-old boy, high school student, Joseph knew his dreams were from God. And maybe he naively shared them with his family, hoping they could help him figure it out. But sadly, his family is so dysfunctional that the very thing Joseph meant for good, hey, God's going to be taking care of us, y'all. His family took us an insult. Some of you know what that's like. You're in families just like that. You're the only follower of Jesus in your family. And so you try to talk about spiritual things that are blessing you and your family feels condemned. Or, or you try to talk about sacrifices you're making to serve the Lord Jesus who served you and saved you and your family thinks you're bragging. Or, or you give financially, you know, generously to support the kingdom of God and do some good in our world and your family thinks you're stupid. You're throwing your money away. Dude, you can relate to the awkward place that Joseph has in this family. And we all wish it was different but it's not always up to us. Now, we've just started sharing the story of Joseph. Next week, his world's going to turn upside down. And you know what? God will still be with him. God was with him in this dysfunctional family and God will be with him. But until then, let me leave you with two insights that I think we can gain from Joseph's troubled family. Here's number one. Growing up in a dysfunctional family is a spiritual challenge. Dude, this tough. And no doubt about that. I know I'm talking today to people who are reared in families that are divided and abusive and unbelieving, unkind. I'm sure your experience has left scars of insecurity and self-doubt and maybe self-loathing that are not easy to overcome. But I want to remind you again of a promise of God that Paul shared in Corinth with those who had come out of horribly dysfunctional situations. He said, some of you were once that way, but you're not like that anymore. Now you've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Dude, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, Jesus can make all things new in your life and he's the only one who can. And can I just say, look at me now. If you're a parent and you are making choices that are hurting people in your family, you can change. It doesn't have to stay like this. You can access the power of Jesus and he will help you with that addiction. He will help you with that attitude. He will help you with that anger, that fear, whatever. Now you're gonna have to take some steps. You're gonna have to talk to somebody, make an appointment to talk to one of our pastors, talk to a Christian counselor, but you just ask for help. Dude, if you, listen, if you want to just keep on having what you got right now, just keep on doing what you're doing right now. But if you want something different, you got to do something different. And you could press that prayer button on the screen right now and start that conversation that would take you and your family to a new place. Here's the second thing that I think we can learn from this story. God is with you even if you are stuck in a dysfunctional family. Even if you're part of a dysfunctional family and don't know it, God is still with you. Friends, Joseph overcame some horrible circumstances to become a blessed, faithful servant of God. I'm telling you, he came from a wacko family, but God elevated him out of that madhouse that he grew up in. And his family was a godly, beautiful family that set a new course for future generations. Listen, we have men and women who serve as pastors at our church who come from horrible family situations, abuse, abandonment, alcohol. They can't even talk about it without getting emotional. And yet God has done a miracle of grace and redemption in their lives. And he wants to do the same thing for you. Friends, Jesus gets it. 
Jesus grew up in a family with issues. His stepdad died early. He grew up in a single parent home. His brothers and sisters didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection. He knows what it's like and he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to experience that power and that presence every day. Why don't you pray with me right now and ask him to be your Lord and your Savior who will be with you forever. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you that no matter where we get started, once we turn to you, things will be different. Once we give our lives to Jesus, Lord, there will be a power coming to us that's never been there before. There will be a forgiveness that we've never experienced before. There will be an affection that we've never known before. There will be an inclusion and an adoption, Lord, that we've dreamed of all of our lives. When we come to Christ, everything changes. And I pray, God, that there will be those who will come to you today. Just like uh, we saw Becca baptized into Christ a few minutes ago, Lord, I pray that there will be those who will hit that button on the screen and start that conversation that will lead them to become a part of your family. No matter where they have to start from, they'll end up with a good, good father and a loving, loving Lord and thousands of brothers and sisters and be a part of your family on earth. I pray, God, that there will be somebody who will take that step today. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. Amen. Before we let you go, we always want to give you something to think about, something to, to just kind of process in, uh, from what you just heard. And so I'm going to give you just two questions to consider. The first question is this. If you could change one thing about the family you grew up in, what would it be? And then the second question is, if your family could change one thing about you, what do you think it would be? While you process that, you could do that right now or here in a little bit, I'm gonna pray for us just as we go uh, throughout the rest of our time. And we'll see you next time. Let me pray and then I'm gonna dismiss us. God, we just thank you for this moment that we've gotten to spend together. We thank you for the message that we've heard. We thank you for your challenge to us in your word. We just ask that you bless every person that's uh, within the sound of my voice. And we, we love you. We praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. We hope to see you again.